Hello, everyone, and welcome to my economics podcast. Um, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about supply and demand. Um, supply and demand, they go hand in hand, but they have their own intricacies, and there's so many things that vary. So we'll start off with demand. Um, basically, demand is the need for a good, um, you know, when something is high in demand, that means that people like us as consumers were, you know, really wanting it. We're purchasing, um, you know, big quantities of it. Um, and then when it's in low demand, it's considered, you know, not as popular of an item. Um, there's actually an official law of demand that states that consumers buy more of a product when its price decreases and less when its price increases. So it's an inverse relationship. Um, to visualize it, I guess you'd think of a seesaw, uh, when one side goes up, the other goes down, or like a canoe, when there's, you know, one person sitting on one end of it, and say, like, they're on the front, and then the other end's just up in the air, and, you know, vice versa, so, you could think of it like that, when one is up, the other's down, um, and, you know, this is for an obvious reason, um, when a price of an item is jacked way up, you're not gonna be as inclined to buy it. Um, and again, vice versa. Um, now this is displayed, you know, the statistical analysis of this, I guess, is displayed through the demand curve. Um, and the demand curve is stated as only accurate as long as the phrase ceteris paribus, a Latin phrase that means all other things are held constant. Um, this means that when a demand curve is labeled with this phrase, um, movement no longer occurs along the curve. It rather shifts. Um, and these shifts are caused by, um, five factors. Um, so these factors cause the curve to shift left or right. Um, first one being income of consumers, um, relating to the real income effect, which is the change in demand caused by a change in the consumer's income or ability to purchase certain goods, you know, due to their income. Um, yeah, and so it, you know, again, a very obvious correlation. Um, when people are making a lot of money, they're able to buy the luxury items, but when their paychecks are down, not so much. Um, a good increase, a good that increases in demand when a consumer's income increases is in uh, is a normal good, and then an inferior good is a good that consumers demand less of when their income increases. So, like no-name grocery store products, generic brands, um, and so on. Now, the other or the next shift um, shifter of the demand curve are consumer expectations. Our prediction as consumers whether a product will increase or decrease in price um, influences whether we purchase it or not. Uh, we can gauge what will happen, how we will, or how we can save our money. Because, um, you know, we're always looking to buy the most cost-effective product um, in the most efficient way. And so if we predict that, you know, this price will go down or this is going to go on sale soon, then people aren't really going to buy as much of it if a big Labor Day sale is coming up, you know. Um, now, the third shift being population. Um obviously depending on the amount of people in the town or the area that you're trying to sell a good or product um depends on how much of it will be sold um 
so obviously demand for products in Los Angeles will be much greater than demand for products in a small town in Wyoming. Um, depending on the amount of people in the town, you know, demand depends on location. Um, so that's kind of a given. So each demand curve for every location, if you're going to, um, display it by location, they're all going to look different depending on what part of the country you sample. Uh, the fourth one is consumer tastes in advertising. The ads we see obviously impact the way that we, um, you know, consume and the amount that we consume. Um, it depends on the advertising skills of the company, to be completely honest, and their competitors. So, you know, maybe Apple and Samsung, for example. Apple has really attractive um, commercials. And Samsung, not so much. You know, Apple uses the bright colors and the nature scenes. And Samsung tends to just use kind of like infographics. And those ads um, have a very big impact not the only impact, but a very big impact on, you know, how we purchase. Um, same with food. If two different restaurants are selling a chicken sandwich and one of the commercials for the restaurant makes it look really good and fresh and then the other not so much, then obviously uh, demand between those two restaurants are going to differ. Uh, lastly, the price of relating goods. So again, kind of competition, tapping into that. Competition impacts the demand for relating products. So this correlates to the complementary um, goods. And so products that are bought together, pasta and marinara sauce, nail polish and nail remover, and then substitutional products. So brand name versus generic name, uh, Sprite and Sierra Mist, Pepsi and Coke. So um, it's all about if the consumers are willing to, I guess, quote unquote, settle or, um, you know, take the option that is either, you know, they do quality over price that they're willing to pay. Now, the elasticity of demand is another measure of demand. It's a measure of how consumers react to the change in price of a product. So this can be calculated with the formula. Uh, and if the formula results in a sum greater than one, that product is considered to be elastic and then if the sum is less than one, it is considered to be inelastic. Um, and this means, well, if the product is inelastic, it means that the demand for that good is resistant to changes in price. Consumers will continue to buy that product no matter its change in price. So for example, things that people need um, and that they refuse to live without, prescription drugs, um, tobacco, things like that, no matter the change in price, um, you will still see consumers purchasing them now if you get that sum that is greater than one and you have decided that that product is elastic demand for that good is very sensitive to change in price and um, is considered elastic so like luxury items again the generic brand versus the um you know brand name foods and beverages things like that and then you also have the unit elasticity which is exactly one that's perfect um now to get into supply uh so the other hand of supply and demand supply is uh to break it down the goods that are provided in stores what we are supplied with um what we have access to as consumers so the law of supply 
states that producers offer more of a good as its price increases and less of a good when its price falls. It all comes down to making a profit. Um, And this is a direct relationship. Um, And this is, I guess, visually, you can think of it as um, you sitting in an elevator. You're going down, the elevator's going down, nobody's fighting each other. It's just one movement um, and vice versa if you're going up. This is displayed by the supply curve and the supply schedule. Um, The supply schedule is just a chart that lists how much of a good a supplier will offer at various prices. Um, And the quantity supplied, so the key term of this is the amount that a supplier is willing and able to provide, depending on costs, um, at a specific price. Um, so there's that quantity supplied versus quantity demanded. And sometimes, um, there is too little supplied, which leads to what is called a shortage. So that means that there is a higher demand than there is supply. We've experienced that in the beginning of COVID-19. We had a shortage in toilet paper and things got really aggressive because we were all freaking out about this toilet paper shortage because we were in such high demand for it and stocking up on it. But the firms did not provide or supply us with toilet paper. And then on the other side, there um, sometimes is there is sometimes what is called a surplus. That means that there is more products supplied than consumers are purchasing. So a greater supply and less demand. Um, this relates to the price ceiling and the price floor. And typically, price ceilings prevent um, a price from rising above a specific level. And this ceiling is set um, to be less than the equilibrium price. Uh, This may result in a shortage because the quantity demanded may be greater than the quantity supplied within the limits of the price ceiling and the equilibrium price. However, the price floors almost counteract that and prevent the price from going below a specific level. And this may lead to a surplus. So if you're too polar on either side, you could lead to a shortage or a surplus. Because if the price floor is set above the equilibrium price, then the quantity supplied may exceed the quantity demanded, which is set up for a surplus. Um, And then I guess the foundation of this all is the law of supply. Um, The law of supply contains two movements, higher production, um, individual firms changing their level of production, and market entry firms leaving or joining the market. So those are the two big, I guess, shifters, movement that you might see in supply. Um, And then I guess visually, supply is displayed through a supply curve. Again, supply schedule, like I mentioned that chart. However, there are factors that influence whether or not this curve shifts. Um, Again, just like the demand curve shifts, the supply curve may also sometimes shift. Number one being the number of suppliers. Uh, More suppliers equals more product, causing a right shift. Less suppliers, which is a decrease in production, causing a left shift. Um, Rising costs in technology, which is technology is something that is rapidly increasing. Price of production affects whether or not a firm can afford to supply a certain amount of a product and how efficiently they are able to do so. So if you have machines, you're in an area where you have lots of access to this technology, um, and obviously your production rate is going to be higher than others. Number three, changes in the global economy. The government has the power to make an impact on the supplies given for production. 
Um, this could be positive or negative, giving the companies subsidies, for example, to typically lower the cost of production, let companies produce more. And then something, I guess, that is seen as more negative is the excise tax that is um, imposed by the government. Uh, it adds little extra cost per unit sold. And they also have the power to regulate firms, which usually raises production cost. And number four, the last shifter of supply, future expectations and prices. If the seller expects the price of the good to increase in the future, they will stock up on the goods to sell more in the future. If the price is expected to decrease, the sellers will be more proactive and place more on the market as soon as they can to make money before the price significantly drops. Um, a lot goes into production and finding the most efficient way to do so. And um, this goes into marginal returns, which is the addition of workers to a firm to allow for more specialization to initially increase productivity. But the law of diminishing marginal utility kicks in and states that as, a cons as consumption increases, the marginal utility per unit declines while the addition of workers increases the output. It does so at a diminishing rate. You know, the law of diminishing returns, meaning that the firm will produce less and less output from each additional unit of labor. It's the level of production where the marginal product of labor decreases as the number of workers increases. So, again, another um, indirect relationship. Um, now, the elasticity of supply, just like the flip of the elasticity of demand, is the measure of the way quantity supplied slash how firms react to a change in price of a good. In the short run, um, it is not easy for a firm to change the amount that it supplies. So supply is technically inelastic. Uh, this is a common issue with farmers in the agricultural world and business since crops take time. You know, it's not easy to just shift the amount of tomatoes that are growing because that's a month months and months long process but in the long run supply has the ability to become more elastic it's possible if the supplier has a longer time to respond to the change in price so if the farmers are told a year ahead two years ahead say um then the more time they are given the more the supply becomes elastic and again you can apply that formula to um, finding the elasticity of supply and when the elasticity sum is greater than one, the supply um, is deemed to be very sensitive to price change. And then when the elasticity sum is less than one, the supply is deemed to be more resistant to these changes in price and not very responsive. Um, so that was all that I have for today. Hope you guys got something out of this. Thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time.